Hello friend, thank you for joining me here. My name's Elizabeth and this is the Starborn Podcast. Sorry if I sound absolutely crazy this episode. I literally stepped outside for like, I don't even know, a minute to do something a couple days ago. That makes it sound like I never leave the house. Do I leave the house? Who knows? But um, I think I was outside when people were like leaf blowing, but they were leaf blowing grass off of the sidewalk. And it really just shot my allergies straight through the roof. And I have been a sniffly mess ever since. So hopefully I'm not like snorking into the microphone this whole time. I'll save your ears. Um, But hey, how are you guys doing? Um, Any of you who are like in the path of Hurricane Ida, I'm recording this on the second, I believe, the second of September. So um, I think it's like remnants or maybe near Maine right now. Um, But most of the mid-Atlantic kind of got the shit kicked out of them. Um, Last night, my hometown is just completely underwater. Uh, Not completely underwater, but it like the water in some areas is literally right up to the the stoplights. Um, we've got this weird racist statue. I don't actually know if it's racist. I just assume because it has to do with war. <laughs> um, but we have this statue in, uh, in my town and like only his head is showing. Um, yeah, it's, uh, pretty bad. I know that my mom's house is like leaking and I think the basement's flooded. So anybody who's been in the path of Ida. I hope that you're okay. I hope that your loved ones are okay and that your city drains itself soon. So where have I been? Also, you might hear like remnants of like lip smacking because (laughs) I'm drinking a smoothie. Um, It's the morning. I just woke up and I wanted to record. Um, I have been in a very severe ego death um, transformation uh, fitting for the topic of this episode, but I actually did record something, I think like a week or two ago, and um, I don't know if I'm gonna release it. <laughs> um, if I do, it'll probably be after this episode, so it'll be out of order, just because I haven't listened back to it, and I literally just started recording with no purpose. I just sat down and started screaming at the microphone for like an hour. It's insane how I can talk for that long without even having a purpose. (laughs) I don't even remember what I talked about. Okay, I actually have to go blow my nose because this is getting insufferable. All right, that feels 
somewhat better. Um, okay, so today's episode, we're finally doing the death episode, guys! Um, <laughs> I'm excited. I, I love this topic and, um, I'm really excited to, like, hear some feedback, um, because obviously I'm going to be talking about death through my perspective and my experience with it and what I think death is. And, um, I feel like because, um, in Western society, it is usually something that is shied away from and it is, um, really like our biggest fear Um, I feel like people who take the time to think about what death is and what death means to them, um, it's a very, like, personal, solitary, uh, journey to figure out what death means to you. So I, I wonder what you guys think of when you think of death and what beliefs you have about death. So after listening, if you want to share those, Um, you can like DM me on Instagram, leave a comment on the, uh, post that I make for this episode on Instagram. I'd love to hear what other people think. Um, those of us who've like really considered and contemplated what death actually is, um, and what death means to them. But before we get into what my idea of death is, I want to talk a little bit about why this conversation matters. Um... Like, why is it important, in my opinion, to talk about death? Um, Also, I feel like at the top, I should say like trigger warning, but obviously this whole episode is going to be about death. So, you know, take take it as you will. Um, If that if death is not a, a topic that you're comfortable listening to someone talk about, then I would say skip this episode until you are. So I was a psych major in college, um, and at the school that I went to, I know not all schools do this, but at the school that I went to, in order to graduate, you had to complete a senior capstone project. Um, and that looked like either some sort of, um, no, I guess for everyone it was research. It just depended if you did like physical research in a lab Or if you did, like, theoretical research, which is what I ended up doing because I couldn't think of an experiment that I wanted to do. Um, And so I might end up calling it a thesis at some point in this podcast just because that's what um, everyone at the school called it. But I don't want anyone to think I'm, like, lying about having a PhD or anything. So it wasn't, like, a thesis thesis. Um, It was, like, a 40-page paper. And my topic was mortality salience, specifically... um, how oh can i remember the title of it (laughs) it was about the behavioral impact of mortality salience salience on different groups of people um so i took groups of people who would have different beliefs looked at um what happened with them behavior-wise when um, their mortality salience was increased. So mortality salience is how aware you are that you are going to die someday. And there were a few different ways that these experiments um, 
uh, heightened mortality salience in the subjects. They, <laughs> one of them was they would uh, take them on a walk while asking them the questions. And um, for the people who were in the experimental groups, um, they would walk them past uh, a cemetery or a like morgue, um, like a funeral home or something like that. And that would heighten their mortality salience subconsciously. Um, another one that they did was they would give both groups a, a word search. But <laughs> um, one of them had like a normal word search. And the other one, the word search was uh, like words related to mortality. Um, and that was also a way that they tested to see if their mortality salience was heightened. They would, uh, this one might be a little confusing to explain verbally, but they would give, uh, they would do something that would theoretically heighten the mortality salience in one of the groups and not the other. And then they would give both groups a sort of fill in the blank paper. I, I don't want to say Mad Libs, but it was like, similar except they would supply um certain letters in the words and now these were words that could really go two different ways um I wish I could think of an example but you could fill in the blanks and come up with a word like death and then you could um fill in the blanks and instead come up with like bread or some some sort of neutral word. Now that one wouldn't exactly work. It's like a teensy bit off, but you get the idea. And what they found was that the people um, for all these different ways that they tried to induce mortality salience or enhance mortality salience, um, those groups would lean a lot more towards filling it in in like a death way. Um, and then the other groups would go towards the, you know, neutral wording. So that was just their way of um, supporting their claim that they were effectively uh, increasing the mortality salience in some of those groups. Now, being the person I am, um, I was really interested in the assigning of otherness so in-group, out-group, um, oh gosh, I can't remember all the jargon, <laughs> but in-group, out-group formation. So um, it's basically us versus them. So your in-group is the people that you consider part of us and the out-group is the people that you consider part of them. Um, and I was really interested in in-group, out-group formation, um, kind of like altruism, just general kindness and uh, looking out for people and treating people nicely, treating people fairly, just treating people well. And what I wanted to see was how mortality salience, so how increasing someone's um, awareness of their own mortality would affect things like in-group, out-group formation and how they treated people that they considered part of the outgroup. So I looked at the data from a bunch of different studies that focused really on two different groups. One group um, is what I would consider the stereotypical Western um, way of thinking where death is pretty much avoided at all costs. Um, 
it's very feared. We don't like to think about it. Um, uh, we don't like to speak about it. There's, there's no sort of, at least, you know, I'm speaking from my experience and that's why I did this thesis, but, um, there's, there's no real room for celebration around death. It's very much a sad, bad thing. Um, and we don't like to talk about it and we certainly don't like to think about the fact that it's going to happen to us one day. So that was one group that I looked at. And the other group that I looked at were groups of people who, for some reason or another, would have been more open about death, would have contemplated death more, would have been more open to talking about it, discussing it, um, didn't have this fear where death was something that like really couldn't be looked at. It was less of something to fear and it was more of a part of life. And it was, um, I, something's coming to mind right now. I remember that I read, um, one study specifically where the participants in that study thought of death as necessary in making life beautiful. Like they had this uh, belief that death was just the other side of life, like the other side of the coin. And if you didn't have death, then life would be meaningless. And so there was almost this uh, reverence and respect and appreciation for death. And so it wasn't as, it wasn't as feared um, in that second group. So you can hopefully feel the difference between basically being batshit crazy, afraid of death, not wanting to look at it. And then on the other side, realizing death is inescapable. So you kind of might as well get used to it and maybe even learn to appreciate it. So just for simplicity from here on out, I'm going to talk about the first group as those who were uncomfortable with death and the second group as those who were comfortable with death. So... In the group that was uncomfortable with death, when you would increase their mortality salience, crazy things would happen. First of all, their in-group, out-group formations would become stronger. So their in-group would not only, um, well, I guess this is the same way to say it, their in-group would shrink. So the people that they considered part of us would get smaller and the people who they considered them, the outsiders, would get bigger. And I guess that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing, um, just like inherently, but what mattered was what they then did to the outgroups. Uh, and so you saw a heightened level of discrimination. Now, obviously, they couldn't in these experiments actually have people go out and act on this. So it was through surveys um, and people would, uh, when donating to charities, they would hoard all the money. Um, so for example, there was one where they had like $10 or something. I feel like this one was a while ago, but they had $10 or something that they, and, and a choice of four different charities and they could um, distribute it to whichever charities they saw fit. Um, 
maybe it was five, like, so you could do it at an even number. It doesn't matter. But um, <clears throat> they would, without mortality salients, they would be more likely to kind of evenly distribute that money through all the charities. But when their mortality salience was heightened, they would hoard all of the money and only give it to the charity that spoke most to their individual identity. So they were much more likely to uh, try to lift up people or groups who were part of their um, perceived us and then discriminate or hold things um, out of reach of people that they considered them or other. There was another study that they did. Um, it's been so long, so I'm just trying to like pull this out of my ass what I remember. <laughs> um, but there was another study that they did where it was, um, it was an interesting one. They had, they, I think it was a fake news article, but they increased the mortality salience for some people and um, then made them read this news article. And <clears throat> I think somebody had done something quote unquote bad. Like I think it was an article about somebody who had been arrested or put into jail for something. And before the mortality salience was increased, this group that was uncomfortable with death um, would usually be a little more forgiving. They wouldn't be so indictive. Is that a word? They wouldn't be so quick to completely, um, just dehumanize this person who had done something wrong. And they, they wouldn't be so quick to put them in the bucket of this person is bad. But then as soon as you increase the mortality salience, they made sure to share their opinions that this was a terrible person. They did a terrible thing. Just very, very judgmental. Um, and this specific one goes back to the idea, again, this was mostly um, westernized groups. So this idea of heaven and hell being very prevalent here. Um, so when mortality salience for this group was increased, you not only have the fear of death, but you also have the fear of going to hell. And so um, whenever you are thinking in that way, these people really wanted to put distance between themselves and the people who might have a better chance of ending up in hell. And so wanting to put that distance between them, wanting to, oh, I don't know why I can't think of the word, but wanting to condemn someone else to save themselves, because if that person is bad, then you know, they're going to end up where they're supposed to go, but I can't be a bad person. I can't go to hell. I have to go to heaven. So again, more of this just really big divide. And then finally, um, what was really interesting was we found that uh, when you increased mortality salience in these groups that were uncomfortable with death, anything that made them think about their animal nature caused anger and um i would i the, the the articles or whatever the research papers didn't use this word but i would say hateful acts and hateful thoughts so the the reason for this is because man likes to separate himself from the animal kingdom 
purely because animals die. Like we know that a lot of people eat animals. Like we know animals die. A lot of people hunt animals. Like we, we see it all the time. We're very aware that that is the circle of life. And when you're afraid of death, you want to remove yourself from the circle of life. That's why we're so far removed from nature. Because if we, um, if we not succumb to, but if we admit our animal nature, then we're right back in that circle of life and death that we can't escape. And that fear rises up. So because we don't have the, um, really the desire, most of us, to confront that fear. We just want to forget that we are also part of nature. So that's a whole other tangent. Um, but I guess it actually kind of fits here too. Another reason why we should be talking about death. That's kind of the whole point right now. Um, but yeah, we try to remove ourselves from nature because if we're a part of nature, then we're, we, we have to look the fact that we're going to die and that, you know, the bodies we're inhabiting, they're just animals. They're just like, you know, special animals too, just like everything else. Um, and they're also going to, you know, stop working one day. But so they found that um, anything that would remind, uh, <laughs> anything that would remind, um, I, I think that this was mostly men in, in this specific study that I'm citing. Um, anything that would remind them of death, they got angry and hateful towards. And what do you know? It's women. Two reasons. Um, first of all, pregnant women especially, and the idea of giving birth, that is such a natural act. Like, I don't really even know how to put that into words. Um, it's just one of those things that is a reminder that like, we're not these like robots that are just chilling here. We are a part of nature. We do the same things that nature does. And kind of, you know, adjacent to that sexual desire. So men feeling aroused that kind of, um, okay, this is a weird way to put it, but that kind of carnal act of sex reminds them that they have these animal instincts, these animal uh, kind of urges. And so what do you know, that gets taken out on women, of course it does, because women are the ones who are triggering these feelings in them. Did I say women's? I hope I didn't. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this would end up with, um, oh, if I could remember the article, I believe it was slut shaming um, and hateful slash more aggressive thoughts towards women. And I think that it was just in some sort of survey that they, um, they, they took. I think, I think that the article involved a sex worker and they had to share their feelings or thoughts about it. And the men who had their mortality salience increased were just absolutely terrible. Uh, said terrible things and were thinking awful things. So um, all of that put together shows us the reaction to mortality salience, the reaction to being reminded that like, hey, you're going to die one day, like your body's going to die one day. Um, that's the reaction that people have, the kind of theme here when they are uncomfortable with death. And when they are fearful of death because of the heaven hell shit 
that is permeated throughout all of society where the good ones um, get to live a lovely afterlife and the bad ones have to burn in hell. I'm sure I'm missing some stuff, but um, if this interests you at all, if you just find like a library or find a, a database that you can use, just type in mortality salience, mortality salience and aggression even, and you'll find like all of these things that uh, I found. But so that was the group that was uncomfortable with death. And because it is the exact opposite, I'm not gonna spend a whole like 20 minutes talking about the group that's comfortable with death. But when I looked at the flip side and looked at the people who were comfortable with death, we really saw the opposite happening. Um, to give a very quick overview, less discrimination and more inclusiveness. Inclusivity? Are they, are they both words? Who knows? Um, so the in-group, out-group, instead of making that in-group smaller, the, um, the, the barriers would actually kind of dissolve away. And it was almost as if instead of the reminder of death being this awful triggering thing, it was actually a reminder that we are all one family and that we're all, um, we are, we're all in this together. Um, I don't know who said it, but death is the great equalizer or something. I think that's pretty close to the original quote. Um, that was kind of the mindset that it felt like people in this more comfortable group were taking on. So in that first example where they had the charity options to um, donate to, once mortality salience was increased, you saw a more even spread of um, people donating to uh, all of the charities across the board instead of whatever ones maybe um, fit their identity the most. And then the only other one that I can remember right now is when it came to um, that, oh, this, this, it was the sex worker one. Yeah, so they, um, they were a lot less hateful toward her. I can't remember what the heck the article said. Um, but it was just very much less, uh, in-group, out-groupy for this group that was more comfortable with death. And it, based on the data that was collected, you could see that it was very much, as soon as they were reminded of death, it was less like, oh shit, fear, 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 and a lot more, oh yeah. Okay, yeah, we're all gonna die. Um, so I might as well like be kind and be nice to all of these people who like me are going to die because we are truly one and the same. Um, and so my big point in this opening is it's important to talk about death, even if it's just to yourself. Um, when I was 14, I think from like 14 to 19, I studied and practiced Buddhism and I read a lot of books. And one of the first book I read, um, one of the first book I read, yep, 
Um, one of the first books that I read, it had a whole chapter on the importance of coming to terms with your own death. And so I shit you not, I used to ride the bus to school and um, every morning that was my task for myself was to spend the whole bus ride contemplating how I would feel if I died that day. I did that for, uh, I would probably say months. I, I don't stick with things very um, I think I was like, okay, I get it. I get it. I get the gist of this after a few months of doing that. Um, but so I, I don't want to speak to Buddhism as a whole because I only know my experience. I'm self-taught. I read my own books and everything. But um, from what I have gathered through my studies, it's very important to contemplate death because if you are not acutely aware of your own imminent death, then how can you really be living? How can you really be alive if you, if you are not like accepting of the fact that your life is not forever? Not that you won't live forever, like your, your, your essence of who you are, your truest essence of who you are, but this body, you're not gonna be in it for eternity. It's go it has an expiration date and you're going to leave it one day because you'll be bored of it. That's why, well, we'll get into that in a minute. <laughs> but um, not only is it important and helpful to consider death, um, but it's, I, I would really argue, and that was honestly my entire thesis, and that was the, the whole last page or a few pages was the importance of considering death because not doing it, I think, is dangerous. Death is the ultimate fear. And forget about the spiritual woo-woo stuff, but if the average person is not aware of how much their fear of death is controlling their behaviors, there's a lot of hate and discrimination and aggression that's circulating throughout the world. And the root cause of it is fear of dying and not wanting to go to hell, not wanting to be reminded that you're going to die. And people are not aware of this. People at large are not aware of the fact that most, if not all, of their fearful behavior comes back to this fear of dying. And if we don't talk about death, and we don't really explore what death means to us, and we don't come to terms with the fact that this body, these bodies that we're in, they're not going to be forever, then we're letting this really, really strong, fearful programming run the show, and we're letting ourselves walk around not even being aware of it. So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh shit, I should probably think about death now, but it scares you, don't worry, um, I have this episode split up into, into parts. <laughs> um, and I think in part four, <laughs> um, it's listed as part three, but I think I'm gonna reorder things. That's why I said I think. Um, but I have a list of things for all different types of people that um, will be helpful in starting your contemplation on death or deepening it if you've already like dipped your toes in, but it's not something that you like, you know, think about frequently.
Alrighty, so we talked about why it's important to talk about death, in my opinion. And now let's talk about what death actually is. Now, like I said at the beginning, this is my belief. Um, I think about death a lot. Uh, my sixth house is Scorpio, so it's like an everyday <laughs> thing. Just thinking about death and transformation. Um, and my my gene keys i'm gonna bring some of them up later in the how how to go about you know further death whatever um but yeah several of my gene keys are i mean to be fair all of the gene keys are about dying once you reach the cidic level you you have died in a certain way and you know i'll talk about that in a moment but um yeah a lot of my gene keys specifically have to do with dying and it is actually a a death of the perceived self so i guess this is actually a, a good time to say that i believe death doesn't exist not in the way that most of us think it does i'm gonna pick on two pretty common modes of thought um right now for what most of us think death is so take the word most with a grain of salt but first we have the atheist view and then we have the christian view so atheist view being our consciousness is uh, uh merely um a side effect of the wiring in our brains and as soon as that stops functioning we're dead. Worm food, decomposition, that's it, the end, and there's nothing before this life and there's nothing after this life. The Christian view is obviously, if you are good, according to someone's rules, then you get to go to heaven. And if you are bad, according to someone's rules, then you go to hell. And you spend eternity in each of those places, which just sounds so goddamn boring. <laughs> Like, even torture would get boring after a few millennia, right? Like, also, what are we? Like, in that belief, in heaven and hell, are we souls? Is this another physical realm? It seems a little like a lack of imagination to think that we just move from one physical form to like another physical form but we're in clouds or we're in hellfire so those are like the two that stick out to me as the ones that i have heard people defend the most now again this is my opinion and i'm really 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 interested on hearing any of yours especially if they differ from mine i would really like to expand my perspective on this and, and hear some other thoughts that don't quite line up with mine. But I view death and life as rebirth. I've been trying to change the way that I talk about death, the way that I talk about birth, um, because the language that we use is so, so instrumental in how we think about things. And the word death is already so, so heavy and has so much 
kind of fear and negative connotation wrapped around in it. So I've really tried to stop using the word death and I've tried to stop using the word birth as well. And I refer to each of those things and any kind of like ego death, which we will talk about that happens in between, um, as just rebirth. Because if you look at the whole circle, technically you die and then you are reborn and then you live and then you die and you're reborn and you live. But that, that, that key word reborn or rebirth, that is really what the energy of death is. It's this transformative energy. You're moving from one thing, from one phase to the next. And it's when you talk about it like that, it's, it's not scary. I mean, maybe it is scary, but it's not bad, right? Like it's sure it could be fear inducing. It most likely is for most of us on the planet right now. Um, especially with the whole planet going through her own rebirth, but it doesn't need to be a bad thing. It's not a negative thing. In one of the books that I'm going to recommend later, um, the author calls he refers to death as continuation day. And you better believe that when my time in physical form on this earth is up, it's not going to be a funeral. We are going to be celebrating my continuation day. And the idea behind that name, that term, is because we don't stop doing what we're doing when we quote unquote die, when these physical forms die. We just move on to something else. And it is a conscious choice. Now, ooh, 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 this is going to rub some people the wrong way. Believe me, I have had to sit with this for years. And it didn't feel good to me when I first started thinking about it, when I first read it either. But I fully believe it's true. Nobody dies against their will. If you talk to people who've had near-death experiences, almost across the board, they will tell you that they got asked, do you want to go back? And they said yes, and that's why they're here now, to tell their story. To tell their story, to live out some mission, to have more fun, like whatever their reason was for wanting to come back. They had the choice. So when we think about the people who actually have moved on from this incarnation... It's because they wanted to for some reason. Now, I think that when I'm ready to go, it's going to be because I'm bored. Um, bored might even be not a great word because it doesn't feel right. I would say fulfilled because I'm going to live till 103 so I can be a tricentennial. And on my deathbed, I'm going to be like, I did it. <laughs> I feel fulfilled here. There's nothing left I want to do. There's nothing left for me to experience. I'm ready to go. See on the other side. And that's really the way that it is for everybody. Now, I know that there's some people who are listening who are probably going to jump right to the extremes. What about the people who are murdered? What about the people who something bad happens to? What about the people it's an accident? What about the people who leave families behind? What about this? What about that? The thing with these higher dimensional truths is that they might not be super comfortable to accept, 
But if you're going to accept them, they have to be applicable everywhere. It's the same thing with the whole idea that we create our reality and then people all of a sudden go, well, what about the person who's homeless? What about the person who doesn't have this? What about this? What about that? Okay. Those are great things for us to contemplate and they're not invalid questions or remarks. But the truth still stands that if you believe everybody, if you believe that you create your reality with your mind, you create your reality with your thoughts, with whatever, however you think you create your reality. Um, there is no point where that stops being true just because somebody is having a difficult period in their life or just a difficult life in general from your perspective. Same thing applies to death. If you believe, which I do, that everybody dies when they decide to, then that has to be true across the board. Even when it doesn't make sense to the people who are looking on. And that's the thing that we need to remember here. If we're gonna, you know, believe what I believe. <laughs> um, someone might not even know that they want to die. That they're ready. But when they're out of their physical form, when they're out of their human body and they are um, reunited with source, reunited with their higher selves in a way that maybe they hadn't been up until that point, and they, they remember, oh, this was my plan, oh, this is, you know, um, what I wanted to achieve. And even in some cases, I really do believe they might get a bigger picture of, oh, if I die right now, if I die in this way then all of these effects will take place. These effects that from that soul's perspective are good and worthwhile. They make that, they, they want to make that sacrifice. So there's all these different things that are happening or could be happening for these people who pass on that it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to us who are left behind. But according to what I believe, it is absolutely true Nobody passes on without their own consent. And if the way that they leave this planet is very jarring to those of us who are left behind, that doesn't change anything for that soul. And it's just that we are so far removed and we don't have their perspective and we're so wrapped up in our own grief, our own anger and sadness that we really can't see or understand why that person would decide to leave. This is especially true, I think, with uh, people who leave families behind or loved ones behind. It's really hard for those people who are left behind to understand why this person would have left me. And then you have the, uh, the abandonment wound that gets triggered. But again, you know, that doesn't change the bigger truth that that person still did decide to leave. And maybe they decided to leave because they loved you. And because that abandonment wound, they knew that it would be triggered and that was the best, the last big gift that they could give to you is um, a, a huge massive trigger that forces you to look at that wound and heal that wound so that you can come back to a loving place with that being. And so, that brings me to uh, kind of the next part, which is like, all right, well, what happens after this quote unquote death? Now, if we're talking about what happens directly after death, like, is there a heaven? Um, I actually think that whatever you believe is what you go to. 
So we know that our beliefs, our mind, um, that creates our reality. So if whatever you die believing, I really do think that that's what you go experience. Because right now, while we're in the physical realm, we are, we're in physical reality. Um, so that we are not basically blowing ourselves up all the time because when we make this transition into the new earth that we're getting to, well, we're actually creating it, but when we make this transition into the new earth, manifestations are going to be instantaneous. And for those of us who have been working with energy for a long time, I'm sure that you can feel that the manifestations have sped up and the external reality is much more quickly mirroring your internal reality. Um... But if you strip yourself out of the third dimension, it's literally instantaneous. And so whatever you think you're going to end up with at the end of your life, I do think that you're going to go there. But as soon as you think of something different, you're going to travel there instead. And you're going to realize very quickly that you're still making up your reality as you go. Now, um... That's about all I want to say as far as the afterlife, like what happens um, right after death. Um, I think that there is some sort of a recounting, not as punishment, but as wisdom. I think that you do go through and kind of rewatch your life or re-experience your life. Um, again, one of the books that I'm going to recommend, they talk about um, going back and experiencing your life from the perspective of everybody you impacted. So every time you did something, you have to go through and, or not have to, but you go through and you feel it and experience it from other people's perspective. And now that sounds like hell, but um, again, we're looking at that from like a human teeny tiny perspective. And if you zoom out and you think about, oh, okay, well, what would it be like for a, a, a soul, a higher being to experience that? Um, I definitely don't think that it would be traumatic. I think that it would be more wisdom gaining, more experience, more just to gain a deeper understanding of your life, especially because like my brain instantly went to like, oh my God, every time I hurt someone, I'm going to have to feel that. But also think about how many people you touch daily that you have no idea you had a positive impact on them. And so you get to feel that too. And I think that that's also a really lovely kind of expansive view to show and to remind you that like you matter, you matter so much. So, okay, I'm going to step away from that because, you know, like I said, I think you experience whatever you want to. So there's as many possible after death experiences that you can have for, you know, as many people there are on the planet. But I call death of this physical form a rebirth because I think that you just go to another life. You go have another experience. Now, there are some people who think that this is stuck to earth. So you just pick another human to pop into um, but I think that this is, first of all, not linear, and second of all, not, um, limited. So you could be a human in one life, and then decide, oh, okay, that was cool, I'm gonna go kick it in Arcturus and have a vacation <laughs> for, uh, a few centuries or whatever, and go over there and do that, and then maybe you wanna be a human again, maybe you wanna, you wanna, um, go 
<laughs> this sounds pretty fun. Maybe you're here now, part of the awakening. You die. You want to head off to Arcturus, take a nice vacation. And then you want to come back and you want to come back to the new earth once it's like fully built and kind of like reap the benefits of everything that you helped put into motion. So it's like things like that. You know, you can bounce around to all these different places. Um, and, you know, it's... It's, it's all for the experience. That's why we're reborn into all of these different beings. It's really for that experience. I just experienced this. Cool. It made me think of all these things. I wonder what this would feel like. I'm going to go experience that now. I'm going to go experience this now. Um, and, you know, I fully believe that you could very easily have an experience here as a human, die, and then go, I want to uh, experience what it would be like to be that human's guides. And, you know, you're removed now. You've had your death process. You are no longer that human. And so now you want to experience this human that you just, you know, you experienced it from their perspective for an entire lifetime. You loved that human. Um, now you want to experience what it would be like to support that human through their life journey. So now you come back as one of your guides. And so like you are your own guide. And I, I fully believe that that's what's happening across the board. Um, cause at the end of the day, we're all one thing. And so it is you going around having these different experiences, but time doesn't exist. So it's happening all at once. So like everybody you interact with is really you trying to have a different experience. And that feels like I need to take a deep breath. I don't know. Take a deep breath with me if you feel like you need to do that too. That just felt like a lot. Alrighty. So we're popping in and out all these different people. If you want to get really meta with it, then it's like, oh my God, Wait, I'm everyone? And uh, I feel like I rambled, but for anybody who like knows what I'm talking about, hopefully that was able to get in there um, and you can feel what I'm saying. Because I think that that's so cool and it is um, such a lovely way to look at the world. Uh, my partner and I were in bed last night and we were talking, uh, we, we were talking about the hurricane and then we were talking about... Um, why did we start? Oh, I was a teacher last year. So we started talking about high school and stuff and uh, what certain experiences we had were. And there was a point in the conversation where he was talking and, and it was kind of like, it would go back and forth. Like I experienced this. Did you have that? And then he would go, no, I had this. And then I did this thing and did it. And I kind of zoomed out a bit. And what it felt like to me was two pieces of the same being who went on separate adventures and now they have found each other again and they are just talking about their adventures. Like sometimes I feel like we talk about our lives on earth in such a traumatic perspective. Like this happened to me and life is so hard and all of these things. Or like we, we talk about it from like this striving perspective where we're trying to do stuff we're trying to accomplish stuff we're trying to get things done but like life is just an adventure like we're just collecting experiences and having that moment last night where I was like oh this is just another version of me who wanted to experience different things and um now 
even though I had my own personal experiences, I can meet up with this version of myself, this other version of myself, and I can hear what they've experienced and and hear things from their point of view. I don't feel like I'm putting it into words good enough, but it was very, so much love I felt in that moment. It was very, very meta. Um, oh man, yeah, I feel like I can't, I can't express it right. Because I've also been um, looking at other humans through the perspective of, like we're all source energy we're all the same exact source energy, but then the way that we create our avatars, the source energy gets filtered through in a different way. And so now whenever I interact with people, especially my partner, I kind of see the same like innate energy that's in me. Like when I get to my most still, most quintessential version of self, it's that same exact thing that exists within them but it's being filtered through, it's shining through in a completely different way because of who their avatar is, of what their avatar is made of, but it's still the same energy. So it just like, I've been having such a strong experience of feeling like I'm just talking to myself with different masks on. And um, yeah, I feel like that was a tangent, but it was really beautiful, so I wanted to share. So I think I think I have one more point about what death is, and then I want to talk about past lives. Another thing that I'm sure I won't be able to explain well. Um, but one of the things that really helped me stop seeing death as a bad thing is thinking about um, the lifetimes where you're a non-embodied being. So the beings that you would consider guides, angels, um, even aliens, the aliens who are non-physicalized. Is that a word? Um, (laughs) They're experiencing their own life, right? And then if they decide to be born into the physical world, like literally born and experience physical reality from baby upward, that means that they have to quote unquote die. And that means that the babies that are being born on our planet, you can see their birth as a death process. And if you can see their birth as a death process, because they come from somewhere else, they come from somewhere else, and then they decide to be a baby, and then they come and they live their life on this planet. So they had a life before that. And then that being had to decide that life was over before they came here. And if you can look at physical birth as an energetic death of some sort, then I think it makes it a lot easier, because it did for me, it makes it a lot easier to see physical death at the end of a life as an energetic birth. And when you can see birth as death and death as birth, it really blurs the lines and it allows us to see this thing that we fear so much, this thing of death, uh, this knowledge that we're not going to be in our physical bodies for eternity. Um, It makes it easier to see that as a choice. It makes it easier to see that as a positive because it really is a graduation not that earth is a school, 
but it's a graduation from one chapter to the next, whatever that next chapter might be. You might go and decide to be a serial killer in your next life. Who knows? Um, you might think that that's fun, but <laughs> there's no hierarchy. There's no good or bad. There's no better or worse. You're just deciding what experiences to have. And when you're done having the experiences that you want to have in this body, you're going to move on. That's not a bad thing. And the more that we can get in touch with that, the, the more that we can come to realize that like it is in our power. We're not going to die until we want to. I think that takes away the fear. And when we can understand that the people who we love, they are not going to die unless they want to, then that can help us from feeling sad about the people who have left us and really turn that energy inwards to understand the grief is for us and the loss and the, the pain, that's for us. It's not for them. They chose that. And when you don't externalize that grief and you, you can hold it as your own, I feel like it's easier to transmute it. It's also helpful to think of things in this way because, um, you know, when people leave this physical form, they're not gone forever by any means. Like their self is bebopping all over the cosmos doing other things. Time and space don't really exist. Everything is here and now. So you can experience the people who have physically left you whenever you want. Most of us don't want to open that channel, though. I'm saying this as someone who I know for a fact I'm a medium and I'm scared shitless because I don't want to see ghosts. My friend who um, had her continuation day in middle school, she actually, um, <laughs> she's laughing at me and calling me a nerd. She, um, I started talking to her, well, okay, she was my best friend, and so I've talked to her since she died, but um, not like not the way that I have been in the past year. It was more like signs and synchronicities and I'd be like, oh, hey, like, thanks for being here. <laughs> um, but, and I would like feel her energy, but like in the past year I've been able to actually talk to her. Um, and I did invite her to come here, but I've been having a really weird time channeling lately. We'll talk about ego death in a couple, you know, sections. <laughs> um, but um, I've been going through such a wicked ego death and it's been making channeling difficult because I can't feel my emotions. Um, my guides literally yesterday just reset my solar plexus and um, yeah, it's really difficult for me to like feel my emotions right now um, in the way that I used to. So I did invite her, um, but I, I don't think I can channel what like I wanted to I wanted to like talk to her about this and have her say some stuff so maybe this will be like um a little bonus later I'll be like I'll invite her on a little like addendum to the to the death episode but what she did tell me when I invited her on um she she just, the only thing that I remember her saying, because again, I thought that I'd be able to channel, she said that it, it's not scary, like it's not something to be afraid of, and she said that it was 
her time like she wanted to go and she doesn't she doesn't regret it um I do feel her a little bit right now and it feels very lighthearted, almost like she's having fun I feel like if we I mean, okay, speaking of Sixth House Scorpio, I was the kind of kid who I wanted to like sit in graveyards. Now, I didn't ever voice this to people because I knew that they would call me crazy and tell me don't do that. But I love graveyards. And now I'm too afraid to go to them because I don't want to see ghosts or like take ghosts home with me. But the more comfortable we can get with death, I think honestly, the more likely it is that we will have these connections with loved ones who have passed on from this lifetime. And it's going to be so much easier to have that grieving process um, when we know that all we're grieving is our ability to experience this one person in this one way. And really their death is an expansion of their self and we can still experience them. It will just be different. So... All right, my brain just went click. So I think I'm, I'm done talking about that stuff. And time to talk about past lives. All right, so this is very, very quick and to the point. Um, de- past lives, again, this is my opinion. Eh. Past lives are not linear. Now, I can only see this. <laughs> and I have never tried to explain this with my words. It makes total sense in my head. I can't wait until we are fully telepathic and, which by the way, I've been wanting to say this. I don't think I've said it to anyone, but I just, I found it out of like a month ago or something. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Telepathy literally means to feel from a distance. So everyone who's like thinking that telepathy or getting hung up on the fact like, oh, I'm not telepathic because I can't hear what people are thinking or people who think that like that's what telepathy is, like you're just able to hear or see what people are thinking. That's not what telepathy is. Telepathy is feeling from a distance. Like all of this, um, when we do become telepathic and we do morph into this one large organism, which really we already are. So we're just waking up to the fact that we're this one large organism. Um, We're going to be feeling each other's feelings. We're not going to be reading each other's minds. And feeling and emotion, that's energy. And that carries all the information we need. It carries more information than words. Um, I think that the reason why some people are so connected to certain like readers and mystics and whatever. It's not that they have the perfect words, it's that they're carrying a certain frequency and you can understand the frequency of it. That's why I'm not completely worried that like I don't make any sense ever because I know I'm carrying the frequency of the messages I'm trying to get across and the right people who are on the same frequency to receive it will understand it. Whether that's like at the right time or they're just the right person that wants to hear it, like whatever the reasoning is, the people who are meant to understand (laughs) what's coming out of my mouth will understand it. So I don't know, side tangent there, but okay. Now, I have this view on past lives because I work a lot with karma. And, oh no, please don't make me talk about karma right now. (laughs) (laughs) My brain just opened up and it was like, talk about the collective karma. No, I don't want to do that right now. God. Um... 
aside, another tangent, I did start a TikTok and we're in the 40th gene key right now and we're moving into the 47th soon. And I'm going to have like four different videos just for the 47th because it's batshit crazy. Um, yo, Virgo has some really intense gene keys. Like, I knew Virgo was a basket case because I have a Virgo moon, but still, like, it's really heavy energies. Anyway, um, okay, past lives. I have put a lot of thought into this and um, talked to my guides a lot about this because I do work with karma. Like, that is my my thing. It is what I love to do. I think I said this before, but someone called me a karma lord once, a reader, and I have adopted that. Um, I didn't understand it at the time. I was like, karma lord, what the hell? Ew. I thought it meant I like control people's karma, but no, I can just read karma very well. So the way that our souls work, we do not go from one body, pull ourselves out, jump into an another body that's further down the chronological line, pop it out, go into another body that's later in time over and over and over again. In other words, you cannot trace your past lives back and forward. Well, <laughs> yeah, past lives are forward. You know what I mean? Your other lives. There's no um, linear thing. You can't trace it all the way back in one line in successive order. And you can't trace your soul forward in successive order in a linear way. That is not how it works at all. Um, the reason why we feel like it does is because when we incarnate into certain bodies, we take on certain karma. Now, I believe that we design our own bodies because there's just so many levels to all of this. So at some level, we are designing our bodies and then we are breaking ourselves apart and dropping into them. And these bodies carry certain karmic imprints and we use our consciousness while we're in those bodies to clear said karma and anchor higher frequencies on the planet, for the planet, because we are the planet. Now, when we are incarnated into bodies that have certain karmic patterns, we align ourselves with certain beings of the past and certain beings of the future that carry those same karmic imprints. And when I say beings of the future, when we're talking about karma, um, at some point, which I think it would be like this generation, it actually lifts from the karma and it actually turns more into gifts because we are really clearing out and we're, we're a lot of us are just done wiping out the karma that's in our current bodies. And so anything that would be looking back at us and be energetically attached to, they would actually be experiencing the gifts and the Cidic levels. Whereas we, we looking back, we see all of the shadow because we are, we have spent this lifetime clearing it out. But that doesn't mean that whoever you're like, whatever karmic, patterns you're picking up on that came before you, that doesn't mean that you were those people, right? We get so stuck in the idea that we exist as individual pieces of consciousness that it's so easy for us to be like, well, once I was this person and before that I was this person and before them I was this person. 
it's the, again, it's really a fear of death. We like to believe that there is some part of us that exists continuously throughout time. But that really, that part is source. That part is the all. It has, has nothing to do with who you are in this moment listening to this right now. So, yeah, I guess that's the, that's the only thing I really want to say is like, um, as you move through your karma, don't be surprised if the past lives that you're aligned to change. For instance, um, a year ago, I would have said that I, in my past life, was a Pleiadian. Now, I still feel connected to that Pleiadian energy because I've experienced it, but I'm aligning a lot more now to Arcturian energy. And I actually, um, this, uh, this just puts a fork in my uh, non-linearity argument, but I actually think that I'm going to go there next. Like when I'm done, like I've had my fill of earth, which I think will happen in a couple lifetimes. Um, it'll be after the new earth is like solidified, I think. When I'm done with that, I'm going to go vacation at Arcturus. And so I think that that's why I feel connected to them because I'm like, my consciousness is wanting to go there. <laughs> but um, the, the karma that I've been aligned to because, you know, all of these um, extraterrestrial uh, communities, uh, not community, mm, collectives, all these extraterrestrial collectives, they have their own karma. Um, and so a lot of that gets brought to the planet when we are aligned with certain frequencies of karma. But that doesn't mean that like you visited all of these places and then you're on earth. Like I said earlier, you could very well be experiencing stuff on earth and then, you know, just to stretch our minds, right? You could leave and say, okay, cool. That place was a shit show. I want to help them now. And you could then, you know, quote unquote, then go on to inhabit a being um, or become a being who is actually you've had the experience of receiving help from that being in this lifetime and it's just you because you are just source you are just the infinite all and you're just putting on different masks so I literally have no idea if any of that made sense if any of it landed so I'm gonna move on <laughs> uh yeah goyebye moving on to the next thing alrighty we're going to talk about ego death and then we're going to talk about um, some resources, some things that I have used that helped me be more comfortable with the idea of death, which, you know, I was kicking and screaming throughout this whole ego death that I was experiencing. So clearly I'm not perfect. Like, please don't listen to this and think that I am just so cool about dying. I'm not like I don't know many people who are because of the way that our society is generally built to discuss death and think about death. Like we're all going through this process of being more comfortable with it. All right. So to start this section, I want to read a quote from the 47th Gene Key. Um... Again, this is why I'm going to have so much to talk about when it becomes uh, when it becomes the 47th when the sun is there. Um, okay. So, if you let go into your fear of dying, that greatest fear, you will discover the gift of transmutation. 
Human beings are in fact a rolling wave of consciousness with no fixed identity. We are programmed to continually hit the shores of our limitations and dissolve into something else. Wow, good punctuation by my stomach there. <laughs> so we kind of talked about why from a moral standpoint, it's important to talk about death so we're not walking around being raging assholes for some hidden reason. But from a woo perspective, from a, like an evolutionary perspective, um, fearing death in its physical form, so like the death of the body, um, it, 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 it really boils down to fear of the self dying, fear of losing who you are. Yo, my stomach might be like crazy right now. What the heck is happening? And so this fear not only keeps us being morally whacked out, but it also keeps us from evolving as people throughout our spiritual journey. I was reading the 47th last night and this image came to me of an alchemist trying to turn lead into gold. And now I know that there's actually like many steps in the in the writings and everything. You don't just go from lead to gold. It's like silver and shit in the middle. But um, I had this this image of the alchemist trying to change the lead into gold and the lead going, no, 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 I'm lead. I'm lead. I'm lead. I'm lead. I'm lead. And just fighting the whole time because it didn't want to let go of its identity. It didn't want to change into something that from a larger perspective, you know, I don't want to assign value judgments, but just, you know, take it with a grain of salt from a larger perspective is better or good. Um, you know, more valuable, more helpful, whatever word you want to use. It didn't want to allow itself to change into something greater because it didn't want to lose who it was, even though it had something to gain from changing from that, from that, uh, technically at that point it would be transfiguration because it's changing into something completely different. And now my guides gave me that um, kind of image because that's what I've been doing. <laughs> um, I've been in a heavy ego death because, I mean, I don't know who else is feeling this, but I'm going through a massive upgrade. The energy right now and the energy for the past like month or so has been absolutely insane. Like, Guys, if you are in this place where you can let go of your baggage, let go. We're done. Those of us who who this resonates with, we're done. We're done with our baggage. We're done clearing our karma. We're moving on to something different. But that requires becoming something different, being open to being something different. And this fear of death gets so tangled up in our identity and our perspective of self, our illusion of self, and we don't let ourselves change, grow, and evolve because if it means becoming something different, it means dying. We are killing a certain aspect of us and that's like terrifying. But the way, again, language is so powerful. So the way that I've tried to kind of circumvent this is to stop looking at it as a death and to look at it as a rebirth. 
I'm not losing anything in this transformation. The parts of me that I love, I love myself. I love myself. I grew myself, you know, I created myself. She's great. I don't want to kill her. <laughs> so I'm not getting rid of it. Everything that I love about myself that is being reborn right now, it's just being reborn into something that fits my next journey better. All the aspects of me that are trying to die off right now that I'm trying to release, I'm not really letting them go. They're changing. It's still me. It's still, you know, the, the me that is the truest me that is the all is just changing form, changing energies, and being reborn as something that is more enjoyable, something that is more useful to, you know, what I want to experience now. And... I kind of feel like that's almost all I have to say about that. Just that our our fear of death really ties into everything. And um, if we can let go of that fear of dying and allow ourselves to change throughout life, we've unlocked so much greatness, so much expansion, so much enlightened expression for ourselves than we do by saying, I'm great the way I am, so I'm going to stay this way forever. That doesn't super work. <laughs> That's pretty stuck. And we're not meant to be stuck. We're not meant to be stagnant. We're meant to grow and change and evolve. And growth and change, all of that is life. Real death, true death, the true like absence of something is the absence of change. If you stop growing, if you stop evolving, that is death. That is stagnancy. That is depression. And we have it a little bit backwards because we're attached to our perspective, our perception of who we are. But if we could just like breathe through it, breathe through those birthing pains and kind of let that go a little, we allow a lot more beauty into our lives. We allow a lot more of ourselves into our lives. Alrighty, so that's that. Um, all right. So last thing, how to form a healthier relationship with death. Now, <laughs> for those teachers out there, uh, I based this off of UDL. <laughs> so basically, I tried to get something that everybody, no matter how you um, interact with information the best, or interact with like contemplation the best, I tried to have something here for everyone. So first things first, the book that I kept uh, referencing throughout this is by Neil Donald Walsh, and it is called Home with God in a Life That Never Ends. 
Now, I've mentioned him many times throughout this podcast. He's the author of the Conversations with God books. Those are the books that a psychic in 2017 recommended to me. And she told me, this is going to change your life. Get ready. And um, basically, she told me it would set me on the path of my awakening. And um, it did. It absolutely woke me right up. I haven't been the same since. So I would recommend all of those books. And it is a series. So at some point, these books all go together, like in order. But Home with God is interesting in that I think it's the longest one of the books. It was also meant to be the last book in the series. There ended up being a one that came after it called Awaken the Species, um, which is another really good one. That's actually the one that woke me up because I read them out of order by accident. But um, when I read Home with God, um, it stuck out to me because I was like, you could read this one on its own. It was very much, it felt a lot more standalone than the other ones. And I don't think that you would have trouble reading it and understanding it if you didn't read any of his other books. So again, Neil Donald Walsh, Home with God in a Life That Never Ends. It's a beautiful book. Um, it is all about death. And uh, yeah, I can't recommend that book enough. It's beautiful. And um, even if you don't agree with everything in it, it gives you a lot to contemplate. And I think that it soothes the mind that is so fearful of dying. And um, yeah, can't recommend it enough. So for people who prefer to listen to music, I only have one song, but I'm sure that you can find others. Um, so this is a song that <laughs> uh, in 2019, um, I would listen to this song, stare at the ceiling and pretend that I was an elderly woman on my deathbed. And I would just cry. I would cry my eyes out and feel what leaving this life would feel like. To be honest, I think that's a great practice because it made me um, so grateful for this life. Uh, there's also the practice for like manifestation. Some people say, start with the end. So like start from the end um, and imagine yourself on your deathbed looking back at your life. Like what feeling do you want to end up with? And so that helped, this helped a lot with that too. So the song is No Hard Feelings by the Abbott Brothers. Um, again, I didn't really think about other songs, but this one really hits home for me. So I would just put that shit on repeat and just cry, 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 cry. Um... It's important when you're doing this kind of work, let all of your feelings come up, whether it's sadness, anger, grief, despair, hopelessness, let those feelings come up. Like they're, um, they're gonna be there even if you suppress them and ignore them. And it's better to just like feel with them, feel with them, feel them, deal with them, get acquainted to them, understand them, then like let them secretly run the show in the background or even worse, sneak up on you when something happens that you don't expect and you're confronted with your mortality really severely. So let yourself cry. Let yourself scream and punch things. Do it all. Um, and then for somebody, um, if you like, if you prefer to like watch something, 
Um, the very last episode of The Midnight Gospel, it's on Netflix. And then um, I didn't look at the... I didn't look at the episode that it would be. So, so sorry if anyone listens to this podcast that I'm about to reference and I get the name wrong. I've only listened to a few episodes and I found the podcast after The Midnight Gospel. But The Midnight Gospel is um, a cartoon that, uh, or I guess that sounds a little childish, but it's an animated version of little excerpts from the Duncan Trussell Family Hour podcast. I believe that's the correct title. Um, And so this last episode of the Midnight Gospel, spoiler, if you know, you haven't, if you are starting to watch that show and you haven't gotten there yet. But um, Duncan does a podcast with his mother who is dying. And I believe that the audio for this episode was taken from the podcast episode that was the last one that they recorded before she died. I think she had cancer. And so um, it's another one. It's another huge tearjerker. I mean, it's it's beautiful and heart-wrenching. Um, so if you prefer to watch things... Um, or if you prefer to listen to things. Again, I'm not sure what episode that is of the podcast, but I'm sure it wouldn't be very hard to just search it up. Um, And then you can always just watch The Midnight Gospel instead. Um, And then, before I have some Gene Key recommendations, I also was just going to say, if you want to do more of a... um, uh, like a deep dive into how you deal with death energy um, and how you maybe have experienced it in your life and perhaps how it's expressed, how it might be even blocked. I would take a look at where your eighth house and where your Scorpio placements are. Um, Oh, I just remembered my Chiron is also in Scorpio. Yeah. So it's not just my sixth house, it's also my, my Chiron's there. So, huh, that's that's weird. That's some food for thought for me. But um, yeah, check that, check out those houses if you're more of a, like, line one type, investigative type, and you want to do your own digging and see how it affects you personally. Um, okay, so those were my advices. <laughs> pieces of advice. Um, And then I also was thinking about some gene keys that I have and gene keys that I read that really talk about death. So first is the 47th. That's what I read the excerpt from. The 47th is all about alchemy and um, about taking the, the shadow is a lot about karma, but the gift and the city is a lot about the actual transmutation that happens when you stop fearing death because we're constantly transforming ourselves. Even after we leave these bodies, we're constantly transforming ourselves to experience different things. Um, and trans- that transformation cr- like creates energy too, which that is a different episode. But um, Yeah, so it just keeps going, just keeps going. So 47th for that, if you want to read more of the excerpt that I gave. Um, And then specifically for ego death, the 12th gene key, and I think... mm, 
I feel like it's mostly talked about in the 12th city. But like I said, um, for all the gene keys, the city is really about coming back to one, being one with source. That means that your identity is gone. Like you, you dissolve, you, you die. You're not there anymore. It's just God. And that's terrifying. Um, and that is what the 12th gene key is about. It's about that final ego death. I think in the book or in the audio, it says that the 12th gene key, the 12th shadow, it's vanity. So the shadow of vanity um, is the shadow that will hold on to you until the very end. So it is the very last thing that's going to have its grip on you before you realize that you are God because it is literally your love of self, the joy that you feel being you. And at a certain level, needing to sacrifice how good it feels to be you to experience how good it feels to be everything. Wow, that was pretty beautiful wording and just came out of nowhere. Um, the other ones that this is like kind of coming out of my ass because I haven't read any of these. I've read three and 20, but I think that's it. Maybe 27. But um, the Gene Keys does have a codon ring of life and death. So all of these Gene Keys have to do with life and death. Again, I really haven't read them. So this is just if you are, if you enjoyed this episode and if you're like, yeah, I want to get into the Gene Keys, then like, you know, maybe these are a good place to start. So the codon ring of life and death is made up of Gene Keys 3, 20, 23, 24, 27, and 42. The way I said 20... I guess I didn't want to say 20. (laughs) All right. So um, those are all of my recommendations for anybody who is listening to this and you either want to start getting acquainted with death or you um, want to take your exploration a little further. You really want to get a good gut punch and make yourself cry or something and just, yeah, just be more comfortable with the idea that you're dying all the time. Jazz the Moon Mother, she says, every death is a breath. Jesus. Every breath is a death. So we're dying all the time and birthing ourselves anew all the time. It's not something that we can escape. And the more we are willing to just breathe into it and accept it and find the beauty in it and find the meaning that it gives everything that's around it, the better off we'll be as people, as uh, source beings, you know, just all around. So there it is. Woohoo, we finally did the death episode. (laughs) Alrighty, so I hope that that episode was worth the wait. Um, I feel like I could talk even more about it. So maybe if this sparked anything for you, let me know and we can get into more detail about some of the stuff that I talked about. Um, but I feel like it was a solid episode. I don't know. I guess I'll have to listen to it. (laughs) Um, if you did enjoy this episode, you got anything out of it, you received something from it, and you just want to balance that energy exchange, I invite you to leave a like or a comment, um, or a follow on my Instagram. So that is, uh, StarbornPod for this podcast. Um, Feel free to share this with any resonant souls, anybody that you think could benefit from this. Please don't do it without a trigger warning, though. Like, this whole episode was about death, and I know not everybody is ready to hear some of the stuff that I said, so please don't use this to, you know, I don't know. Just use your discernment with who you want to share this with. 
Um, if you'd like to help support me, leave a donation on my Venmo. Again, that is Starborn Pod, the Venmo for this podcast. And um, other things that you can do, I did start a TikTok. It is the same handle as my personal Instagram, underscore Elizabeth.Massey, underscore. Um, my TikTok is like 90% Gene Keys and Karma. It's more about Karma, um, but in the next couple days, it might be a little Gene Key heavy because I want to talk about the 40th, which we're in right now, and then we'll move into the 47th, which like I said, I have like just a shit ton that I want to say. Um, but I would check that out because it's actually really fun and it's like bite-sized, uh, very bite-sized podcast episodes. So if you just want little nuggets and not fucking hour and a half long (laughs) rants from me, check out the TikTok. Um, my Instagram is where I am posting, um, it's going through like a rehaul right now, my personal one. Um, so I'm going through. I'm doing um, posts, looks like right now, for every new moon and full moon, and then um, some quotes and channelings in between. Um, It's, I can't wait for the next, like, few months, because once it gets stacked with all my new posts, it's going to be so pretty. It's, like, pastel and earthy. No, pastel and nature-y. It's really pretty. I'm excited. I'm glad that I finally bit the bullet and just went and changed that. Another death I was fearing. I was like, I don't want to lose my trees. <laughs> I found a way to do both. Um, I think that's it. Uh, yeah. So thank you so much for listening. If you're still here, thank you so much for staying till the end. You're a champ. <laughs> I love you guys so much. Thank you for... um everything, all the support. Uh, I can feel your energy and it feels amazing. And I am really grateful for you and the ability that I have to share my thoughts with the world. So I hope that you all are doing well. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. I hope you have a fantastic Virgo season. Um, (laughs) And I'll see you next time. Bye bye.